0: Well, hi, everybody. This is Bob Bro. Welcome to the best old time radio podcast. This week, once again, we're doing an archive show. For this one, we're going back to November the 19th in the year 2018. Hope you enjoy it. <music>
1: It's half past eight exactly, Mr. Dillon.
2: I better get it out of the safe now.
3: All right, let's go.
0: Anybody out there with a cold, please raise your hand. Chester has his hands up. Oh, lots of hands. i tell you what, Carol and I both have been down for about the last week with a really nasty cold and cough. Oh, just coughing our, our guts out. That's a horrible thing to say, isn't it? But anyway, <laughs> but a lot of coughing. And my voice isn't doing so well as a result. So what I, I had... A number of things I wanted to talk about this week on the shows I had selected, but because my voice is in such bad shape, what I did is I just added a fourth show, so to cut down on the talking, which a lot of you, especially those of you in Delray Beach will love, but uh, other people like to hear some of the things that we talk about with regard to these shows. At any rate, we got a great lineup tonight, so we're going to get go ahead and get started right away. We have an episode of Dragnet, we have an episode of the Inner Sanctum, and uh, you'll enjoy that. Then we're going to follow that up with the Jack Benny Show, and then an episode of Gunsmoke. So go get yourself comfortable, get your cough, uh, cough drops there, go ahead and uh, get your Vicks Vapo Rub, and uh, get all lathered up there, and situated in your comfortable chair, pull a nice comforter over you, because we're going to get started in just a minute. Gonna get things rolling right away tonight with an episode of Dragnet. Going out to LA to see what Joe and Frank and all the boys are doing, and this time they're looking for someone who has committed a murder. It's not a suicide, it's a murder. This one was originally broadcast on June the twenty-eighth, nineteen fifty-three, and it's entitled The Big Ham. And again, I don't know (laughs) why it's the Big Ham. Now there's an actor in here. So, maybe he's the reason they called it the big ham, but I don't quite get it. Anyway, it's a pretty good episode, and here it comes. Ladies
4: and gentlemen, the story you are about to hear is true. The names have been changed to protect the innocent. You're a detective sergeant. You're assigned the homicide detail. A young girl has been shot with a .22 caliber rifle. It was reported a suicide. Your job, investigate.
5: Dragnet, the documented drama of an actual crime. For the next 30 minutes, in cooperation with the Los Angeles Police Department, you will travel step-by-step step on the side of the law through an actual case transcribed from official police files. From beginning to end, from crime to punishment, Dragnet is the story of your police force in action. It was Monday, June 8th. It was
6: warm in Los Angeles. So we were working the day watch out on a homicide detail. My partner's Frank Smith. The boss is Captain Warman. My name's Friday. I was on my way into the office, and it was 8.03 a.m. when I checked into room 42. Homicide. Joe. Yeah. Back
5: here in the skipper's office. Ray Geese wants to talk to All you. All right. Morning, Joe. Hi, Ray. What do you got? Suicide. Anything on it? Well, uh, here's the report. Team from the business office went out last night. Get on it right away, will you?
6: Right, Ray. Right. Let's go. Huh?
5: Yeah. Want to
6: check this stuff before we get started? Might as well give us an idea what we got to do. What's the report say? There you got. It. Well, let's see. According to this, business office got a call at 2:30 this morning. A landlady out in the West Lake Park district called in and said that this young girl had committed suicide
5: they get an ID on her?
6: No, they got her listed as Jane Doe, number 17. There's a description here. Better check it with missing persons, huh? Uh-huh. How'd the landlady happen to find the body? Well, according to the report, she heard the water running in the apartment, finally went up to see what it was. She knocked on the door, nobody answered. She opened it and went in, found the body. Well, the girl didn't live in the apartment then? No, place is rented to a Ross Mitchell. Anything on him? No, because he wasn't home. He was checked through R&I, no make on him. How about Prince on the victim? No go, checked him out, nothing on her here. We can send them on to Washington. Yeah. And they found a suicide note. It's a copy of it here. What's it say? Ross, I've tried to make you understand. Nothing seems to do any good. I've told you that I won't stand in the way of your career, but you don't want to try to make a go of it. I know this doesn't solve anything. It's the only way I can think of Any signature? No. The report says that the original copy's over at the crime lab for processing. Well, well, I guess we better start with the landlady, huh? It's the best lead we got. Glendo and Bates are out there now. place was staked right away.
7: Friday, you want to
6: take two? Right, thanks, Ray. It's Friday, talking. Yeah. Uh huh. No, we just got it. Was that right? Okay, Max. No, have him wait there, will you? No, we'll be right over. All right, thank you. Well, it's a little break. Max over at the coroner's office says they know who the girl is. Yeah. Her father just identified the body. a.m. We left the city hall and we went over to the hall of justice. We met the victim's father, a Mr. Robert Andrews Paul. He told us that there could be no mistake. The body was that of his daughter, Gloria Z. Paul. The attendant had given him some smelling salts, and after introducing us, he'd left to close off the viewing room. I don't understand why she'd do it. None of it makes sense. When did you see your daughter last, Mr. Paul?
8: Saturday afternoon. That was the last time. I never saw her again.
6: She was gone Saturday night and all day yesterday, is that it? Yeah. You hear from her at all? No. Weren't you worried about her at all?
8: No, sometimes she doesn't come home stays with a girlfriend. But when I didn't hear from her last night, I got worried started calling around. she say where she was going when she left? Told me she was going over to see Peggy. Said the two of them were going to a show and that she'd be home for dinner short. Well, who is this Peggy?
6: Peggy Rockwell, a friend of Gloria's. Uh-huh. Have you talked to her? What? I say, have you talked to this Peggy since your daughter disappeared? Yes, I called her last night. I talked to her then.
8: I was most out of my mind. I didn't know what to do. I talked to her last night. She didn't know.
6: Did your daughter know
8: anybody
3: named Ross Mitchell?
8: Ross Mitchell? No, I don't think I've ever heard the name. Why do you ask that? Well, I just wondered. You know something about this you're not telling me, is that it? No, sir, we don't. Well, it must be something like that. You don't just come up with a name like that out of thin air. You got to have a reason. Now, look, I'm a father. I got a right to know. All night sitting there waiting for the phone to ring, calling her friends, thinking she's been in an accident, imagining all kinds of things... If you know something you should tell me, I've got to know. How am I going to tell him mother? Poor woman's almost dead with worry. She doesn't know about this. All she knows is that the baby's gone, that's all. The baby's gone. Glory is dead. I don't know
6: what to do. All right, Mr. Paul, try to take it easy. <laughs> I'm sorry if you got a cigarette. Yes, sir. Here. Here, I'll give you a light. Sorry about that. It's all right, sir. We understand. Then do you think you can give us an address where we can talk to this Peggy Rockwell? Yes, yeah, she works at a restaurant
8: over on 7th. I've got a home address, too, if you want it.
6: Yes, sir. We hope you'll understand this, Mr. Paul. We don't mean any offense here. What's that? Did your daughter have any steady boyfriends that you know about? No, I don't think so. No one that she went with steady. No one man she liked more than the others?
8: I think there was. I, I don't know who... Her mother asked her about it a couple of times, wanted to know who the fellow was, but Gloria'd never say. Just said that it wasn't serious, it didn't matter. How'd you seem to get along with this man, would you know? All right, I guess. I told you, I never saw him, I didn't know who he was. But whenever Gloria had a date with him, she acted like it was something special.
6: Did your daughter have a job?
8: Not regular, she used to model once in a while, and then maybe she'd pick up a day's
6: in pictures, not much. Mm-hmm. Can you think of any reason why she'd want to take her own life? No. She seemed pretty happy, never gave any indication there was anything wrong. Has she been ill lately under a doctor's care?
8: No, not that I know about.
6: Well, Mr. Paul, is it possible she might have been seeing a doctor and you wouldn't
8: know about it? No, her mother would have known. She'd have told me. Now, I'm pretty sure she was feeling all right. Anything
6: about her job that bothered her. What do you mean? Well, was she happy with what she was doing, the kind of work she was doing?
8: Oh, yeah. Gloria didn't want a career. She was looking for a husband, one to settle down and raise a family. Mm-hmm. Well, can you think of anything at all that might make her want to take her own life, as I ask you before. I can't understand it. None of it makes any sense to me. Where she was found, she didn't know anybody in that part of town.
6: I don't know what she'd be doing over there. Did she drink? I don't think I understand. Well, did she drink much, sir? Bars, cocktail lounges? No, she didn't. Now, Gloria
8: was a good girl. She didn't drink or smoke. She was a good girl, and I don't understand all this. First this thing with Ross, now you want to know if she drinks. I don't know what you're trying to get at, but I don't like it. You're trying to make Gloria something that she isn't. She's a good girl, always has been. Just a home and family, that's all she wanted, nothing more. I don't know why you're asking me all these questions. I'm a father, you're the police, it's up to you to find the reason. That's your job. Not to come around and say things about my girl.
6: I'm sorry, we're not saying anything, Mr. Paul.
8: You are too, you're trying to make me believe that Gloria wasn't a nice girl, Now I know different.
6: I raised her since she was a baby,
8: gave her all the care I could. I don't know why she'd do a thing more. You
6: don't? No. Why ask me these questions? Well, sir, you said it yourself. Huh? You're her father. We continued to talk to the father of the victim. From him, we got a list of the girl's friends, the address and the names of the people that she worked for. While we were talking to him, he was unable to give us any ideas as to why his daughter, Gloria Paul, might want to take her own life. He insisted that he didn't know anybody, or any one of his daughter's acquaintances named Ross Mitchell. A telephone call was put through to his wife, but she was unable to tell us who the man was. 8.20 a.m., Mr. Paul recovered from the initial shock and he went home. 8.39 a.m., we drove over to the rooming house where Gloria Paul had been found. On the way, we stopped to call the crime lab to see if they'd been able to come up with anything in the dead girl's effects to help us. Lieutenant Lee Jones at the lab told us that they hadn't finished their investigation yet. 8.50 a.m., we arrived at the house and talked with the landlady, Thelma Keen.
9: It's terrible. Poor little
6: thing. You haven't seen Ross Mitchell yet, is that
9: No, he? he hasn't come in. I told the officers last night that I didn't expect him until noon today.
6: Have you seen the girl before?
9: Once in a while. She'd come in with Ross, wait for him, and then they'd go right out.
6: Did you see her last night, sir? I
9: told the officers that were here last night that I didn't. Uh, didn't you talk to them at all?
6: Well, yes, ma'am. We have the report they filed, Mrs. Keene, but we'd like to get some additional facts from you.
9: It seems like a waste of time, but I suppose you have to.
6: Yes, ma'am. Do you have any idea when she might have come in?
9: No, not the slightest.
6: When was the last time you saw Mitchell?
9: Saturday around noon. He came in and told me that he'd be out of town over the weekend. Uh, Said for me to keep an eye on the place. Yes, ma'am.
6: Did he tell you where he was going? He
9: said he was going to visit an assistant director friend of his over in La Cunyada. Did
3: he
6: say what the friend's name was?
9: No, they're working on a picture together. Ross just met him the other day. Asked him out for the weekend. Ross was very good at making friends. Mm Mm-hmm.
6: Do you know where he's working?
9: No. Ross just said it was a sea adventure. Doing it in full color. 3-D, too. I guess it's going to be quite a spectacle. I didn't have all the gimmicks in my day. Ma'am? Didn't have 3-D or the other things. In my day, we acted. We knew how to act. From the heart. These youngsters, a good flack can make a star out of anybody. Oh, things have changed. And here, this one. That's me with the pith helmet. This was made over in Catalina Island. We were shooting a jungle picture. We acted. No doubles for us. Real actors.
2: Mm -hmm. When was
6: this, ma'am?
9: A few years ago. Now, why are you asking all these questions about Ross?
6: Well, a note the girl left was addressed to him.
9: (laughs) That doesn't mean anything. Just some lovesick girl. Doesn't mean Ross had anything to do with it.
6: How'd you happen to find the body?
9: I went to bed about 10.30... They were running one of my old movies on TV, and I stayed up to see it. You happen to catch it? A thing called The Floods Will Come. Made it over at Catalina. Starred Nick Benton, real movie idol. Here's one of the stills from the picture. Yes, ma'am. Here's the whole company. That's me. And that, that's Nick with the puttees. He'd put on a little weight. I remember he had to do road work while we were there to trim down. Held the company up for a week. The grand picture. They didn't do it right on television, though. Looked a little corny. I guess the way they ran it through the machines. You know, we all looked uh, pasty. Even Nick.
6: Yes, ma'am. Would you go on, please? Uh,
9: Well, after I saw the rest of the picture, I went out to the kitchen, got a bowl of shredded wheat to eat in bed, came back to the bedroom, and I heard this noise.
6: What noise was that, ma'am?
9: Like somebody was running water in one of the taps. Went on and on. Pretty soon it started to bother me. I couldn't understand it. Uh Uh-huh. Finally, I went up to see who it was. Noise came from Ross's apartment. Mm -hmm. I knocked, but there wasn't any answer, so I unlocked the door and went in. I thought something was wrong. And That's when I saw her. I see. She was lying on bed. Right away, I called the police.
6: Before you went up, did you hear any other noises? Any sound of a struggle, anything like that, maybe?
9: No, just the water running.
6: How about the shot, ma'am? You hear that? No,
9: no, I didn't. A lot of shooting in the picture I was watching.
6: Did you touch anything in the room?
9: No, I turned the lights, but that's all. Room was dark when I went in. Just turned on the lights, and then I called you.
6: According to our report, there wasn't any purse found with the body. Did you see one when you went in there?
9: I didn't. But if I had, you'd gotten it. What are you trying to say? That I stole her purse? Is that what you're trying no, to say? No, ma'am, that's not what we're trying you'd to say. Better not. I've got a reputation in this town. I know a lot of big people. i not going to have you come in here and call me a thief.
6: Well, we didn't mean to offend you, ma'am. Mm-hmm. Who has a key to Mitchell's place besides him, ma'am?
9: No one. He's got the only one. I don't like a lot of keys to the rooms out. I tell all the tenants that.
6: Have you got any idea how the girl might have gotten into the room? No. Do you know who the gun belonged to?
9: Yes, it was Ross's.
6: You're pretty sure about that, are you?
9: Yes, I saw it when he moved in. Commented on it then. He said that he'd had it since he was a kid. Kept it out of sentiment. Mm Mm-hmm. What's this all about, anyway? You seem to think that there's something wrong. Is that it? No,
6: ma'am. It's just that in things like this, we have to make a complete investigation. You can understand.
9: Oh well, I want to do all I can to help you, but I do have an appointment. If there's nothing more you want, I'd like to be going.
6: That's all right, Miss Keene. If we want to talk to you, we'll be able to reach you here.
9: Yes, right here.
6: We'll give you a call to tell you about the inquest.
9: Am I going to have to be there?
6: Yes, ma'am. You, and Mitchell.
9: Why him?
6: Well, it was his apartment,
9: ma'am. But he didn't have anything to do with it. Well,
6: maybe so, ma'am, but he'll still have to be there.
9: It's not fair. A thing like this can ruin him. By the time the papers get through with it, he'll be finished. It can ruin his career. He doesn't know anything about it. He won't be able to tell you anything. You're
6: wrong there, ma'am. Huh? He's got a lot to explain. We went upstairs and met the officer staked out in the room and looked at the apartment where the girl had been found. 9.20 a.m. We gave our card to Thelma Keene and asked her to call us if she thought of anything else. We also asked her to notify us immediately in the event she heard from Mitchell? The stakeout on the room continued. 9.52 a.m., we drove over to the coffee shop on West 7th Street to talk to the girl's friend, Peggy Rockwell. We found her in the back of the place, typing out the day's menus.
10: What about Gloria? Something wrong?
6: When was the last time
10: you saw her, miss? Well, let's see. Saturday night, she stayed at my house. Left about noon on Sunday. I had the day off. Figured that maybe we'd do something, but Gloria said she had something to do. Last I saw her was on Sunday morning.
6: You know a man named Ross Mixel. That bum. Why do you say that, Miss Rockwell?
10: Because he is real no good.
6: You pretty friendly with Miss Paul?
10: Well, Gloria thought so. Turned out he was just using her. Well, how do you mean? Thought at first she could get him some jobs. Turned out when he could do better, he dropped her. They were going to get married, and then he thought he could do better, so he dropped her. Mm-hmm. Say, do you mind if I go ahead with these menus? The boss will be sore if I don't get through with them.
6: No, you go right ahead, Miss.
10: We can talk while I'm doing it. Yes, ma'am. I took a course once, touch typing. Didn't think I'd ever use it. Boy, was I fooled.
6: You go right ahead, miss.
10: Well, this Ross really gave her the rush. Had her take him around, introduce him to her friends. She got him a couple of jobs. She's the one who introduced him to Mike.
6: Mike?
10: Yeah, Mike Cowell. That's Ross's agent. Peggy set it up. She's done just about everything for him. Then the bum acts like this. What do you mean, miss? Treated her so bad. Say... How do you spell croquettes?
5: Well, I, I think it's C R O Q U E T T E S. O
10: Q E T T E S. Turkey. They had roast turkey last night. I don't understand how people can eat them, but we sure sell a lot of them.
6: Did Miss Paul say she was going to see Ross over the weekend?
10: Yeah. She said she had an appointment with him Sunday. Said she'd called him and set it up.
6: You know what time?
10: No, just said she wasn't going on like this. Had to be straightened out. Mm -hmm. I don't blame her. She's told her friends they were going to get married, and at the last minute, Ross had backed out.
2: Her family know about Ross?
10: No. Father didn't mind her doing a little work and show business, but he didn't want her to marry anyone in it. She thought that if they just got married, then the family would understand.
6: Joe? Yeah? I'll call the crime lab, see if they finish. Yeah, fine, thanks. How'd Miss Paul and Mitchell seem to get along, ma'am? What do you mean? Well, do they have any arguments or disagreements, would mm, you know?
10: Not often. Most of the trouble they had was about getting married. Ross kept saying that it wouldn't do him any good to be married now. He thought that it might hurt his career. That's all he thought about.
5: Were you ever
6: present at any of these arguments?
10: Once. We'd gone out on a double date, went to a place down at the beach, had dinner, and then stopped on the way back for a couple of drinks.
6: Uh-huh.
10: Ross got pretty drunk, got into a big thing about his career. yeah. He went on and on about how hard he'd work, how much the theater meant to him, all that kind of stuff.
2: I see.
10: Finally, he said right out, they'd kill anyone who tried to stop him, just like that. Kill anyone who'd try to stop him.
6: Yeah, yeah. See you a minute. Would you excuse me, please?
10: Sure. Uh, just a minute. Yeah. Um, is there one L or two L's in Broccoli?
6: Just one, ma'am. Oh, thanks. Yeah? Just talk to Lee Jones. Yeah, did you finish up? Yeah, something's wrong. What's that? He thinks the girl was murdered. a.m. We drove to the crime lab and talked with Sergeant Jay Allen. He told us that when they checked for powder burns on the body, they hadn't found any. They measured the reach of the dead girl and found that it would have been almost impossible for her to have pulled the trigger on the rifle, leaving the fingerprints they found on the gun. Water test failed to show any traces of nitrate powder on her hands. They checked the handwriting on the suicide note found in the room against samples of Gloria Paul's writing and found that they didn't match. From their findings, they said that it was their opinion that the girl had not killed herself, that she'd been murdered. We went back to the city hall and got out a local and an APB on Ross Mitchell. We called the landlady of his rooming house. She hadn't heard from him. 12.30 p.m., we went back to the rooming house and relieved the stakeout. We asked the landlady not to say anything to Mitchell about our being there. 12.45 p.m., still no sign of the suspect. One o'clock, 1.30. Who
8: are you? What are you doing in my place?
6: Come on in. Who are you? Police officers. Come on in. Close that door. Put that suitcase down.
8: What's this all about, anyway? What have you guys been doing here? The place is You're all Ross torn You Ross Mitchell?
6: Yeah, why? You know a girl named Gloria Paul? What's she got to do with it? You know her? Yeah, I know her. When's the last time you saw her? Say, what's this all about? What's all these questions? When was the last time you saw Gloria Paul? Friday night, I guess. Don't you know for sure? All right, Friday
8: night. You haven't seen her since. I told you the last time was Friday you night. You didn't see her Sunday. No. Where were you Saturday and Sunday? Out of town. Where? La Canyada. Can you prove you were there. Why? Can you prove you were there? I don't like all this. You guys coming in here asking a lot of questions. What are you trying to prove? Who are you staying with? A friend of mine. What's his name? I'm not going to have him dragged into this. You haven't got any choice. Well, that's what you say. You haven't told me what this is all about. I'm not telling you anything till you tell now me. Now you look,
6: Mitchell. Understand this? We're not here to pass the time of day. You better come up with some answers quick. Now who are you with? Friend of mine, guy named Sid Austin. What's his phone number? You gonna call him? We gotta check your alibi. Now, oh, what's his
8: number? Won't do any good to call him. I thought you said you were there. I was. Then we gotta call him. Well, he won't be able to tell you anything. He wasn't there. He just let me use his place. There wasn't anybody there. Who's got a key to this place besides you? You mean here? That's right.
6: Nobody. You got the only key, huh? That's right. The landlady's got one, just the two of them. You got any idea how somebody else could get in here? No. Why? How well do you know Gloria Paul? What's she got to do with it? How well do you know her? We used to go together. Anything serious between you? She thought we might get married. How'd you feel about
8: it? I don't think that's any of your business. Maybe it is. How'd you feel about it? I liked her. She was a nice kid. Nothing more. No. Now you look. I think it's about time you told me what this is all about. Something to do with Gloria, is that it? That's right. Watch She's dead. Hmm. Huh. All right.
6: Can I please have a cigarette? Yeah. Here. Here's a match. Thanks. How'd it happen? thought maybe you could tell us. Why'd you figure that? Where'd you see her last? Up here. This room? Yeah. When was that? I told you Friday night. You have
8: any trouble with her? No. No argument? I told you no. Well, how'd it happen? Can't you tell me? You own a .22 rifle? Yeah.
11: You got bullets for it?
8: Yeah, why? Where do you keep it?
6: Closet over there. You keep it loaded? No, the bullets are on the shelf in the closet. All right, come on, Ross. We better go downtown. What for? I want to talk to you.
8: What for? you got to tell me before I have to go. you got to tell me what you're holding me for. Suspicion of murder. Now, come on.
9: Where are you taking him? Downtown. Why?
6: We want to talk to him.
9: You didn't have anything to do with it, did you, Ross?
8: I don't even know what this is all about.
9: All I know is that Gloria's dead. She killed herself in your room. What? In your room, Ross. It was suicide. Well, they're arresting me for murder. Well, you can't do that. Ross didn't have anything to do with it. It was suicide. That's what you said.
6: All right, come on, Mitchell.
9: Well, you can't do that. It was suicide.
6: You want to take him out of the car, Frank? Yeah.
9: You can see that you're making a mistake. He didn't have anything to do with it. He's going to have enough trouble with that girl killing herself in his apartment. You can't arrest him for murder. It was suicide.
6: What are you trying to tell us, lady? What? Something you want to say here?
9: No. You're making things up. All right, let's go. Yes. Yes, go ahead, take him, go ahead. He wants to be a star, let him. Go ahead and take him and serve him right, the way he treats people. I tried to help him. God knows I tried. Got him to meet a lot of important people, a lot of contacts. You think he was interested? You bet he was. How does he show it? I'll tell you how. He thanks me for all I've done for him by running around, chasing after that. Young nobody, that Gloria. I tried to reason with her, tried to talk some sense into her. Told her that she couldn't do anything for him. Told her that I could make him a star, bigger than anybody. She said she loved him. She doesn't know how to love.
6: You want to go ahead?
9: I came over here all the time, begging Ross to marry her. I told her to get out of his life and stay out to leave him alone. He didn't need her.
6: What was all this?
9: Sunday evening, she came here all dressed up. Oh, when they're young, they know everything. I'm one of the biggest stars this town ever had. She's a nobody. I know what's good for that boy.
6: Didn't you tell us you didn't see the girl Sunday, isn't that right?
9: That's what I said.
6: Did you see her Sunday?
9: Yes, I did. She wanted me to let her into Ross's apartment. I told her he wasn't there. She said it didn't make any difference. She'd wait for him. Well... I told her to leave him alone. She didn't understand him. Didn't know how to take care of him. I know the right people. He could have written his own ticket in this town. He could have been big. You don't want him. I killed her.
6: All right. Do you want to get a coat, ma'am?
9: Yes. It doesn't make any difference. I did it to help him. I thought you'd think it was suicide. I didn't think you'd figure anything else.
6: You wrote the note, did
9: you? I did. That's what you've got to understand. For him. That was all that counted. He'd married her and he'd been through. I had to stop it. I didn't want to kill her. you can see I couldn't let him marry her. Ross is a fine actor. Real talent. doesn't come along often.
6: All right, lady. Let's go.
9: He'll understand, won't he? He'll know why I did
6: it. He'll understand. I wouldn't know, ma'am. Oh? We'll let you ask him.
5: The story you have just heard is true. The names were changed to protect the innocent. On October 14th, trial was held in Department 89, Superior Court of the State of California, in and for the County of Los Angeles. Thelma Alice Keene was tried and convicted of murder in the first degree. She was sentenced to life imprisonment in the California Institute for Women... Corona, California. You have just heard Dragnet, a series of authentic cases from official files. Technical advice comes from the Office of Chief of Police W.H. Parker, Los Angeles Police Department. Technical advisors Captain Jack Donahoe, Sergeant Marty Wynn, Sergeant Vance Spraser. Heard tonight were Ben Alexander, Virginia Gregg, Vic Perrin. Script by John Robinson, Ben Alexander. Music by Walter Schumann. Hal Gibney speaking. Chesterfield has brought you Dragnet, transcribed from Los Angeles.
6: Tonight, it's Adventure with
8: Barry Craig, Confidential Investigator on NBC.
0: From June the 28th, 1953, that was the big ham on Dragnet. Did you notice that that episode was co-written by Ben Alexander, who of course plays Frank Smith? You know, he was actually a child star, movie star, or maybe not a star, but a child actor back in the silent movie era. And didn't the woman here, the murderer, remind you a lot of the Gloria Swanson character from Sunset Boulevard? Just wondering, just wondering if the two somehow connect. I guess, based on that, she was the big ham, huh? Oh, well. Whatever the case, we will still be having more Dragnet coming up in the weeks ahead. Okay, we have a creepy treat for you tonight. We're going to do an Inner Sanctum mystery. Inner Sanctum was a show that was on from 1941 to 1952. It was created by Hyman Brown. He was one of the most prolific radio show producers uh, in the history of the genre. He produced over 30,000 radio shows. He was based in New York City as uh, Inner Sanctum was. And one of the things I found fascinating about Hyman Brown, I mean, there's hundreds of things that you could find fascinating about this man, but that he taught audio drama at Brooklyn College. Audio drama. I didn't know such a class existed. I would love to have taken that class. And I used to live in Brooklyn. Hyman Brown lived to be almost 100 years old. He died just short, about, I don't know, about 45 days short or so of his 100th birthday. And that was back in 2010. But anyway, he started this show. It was loosely based on a series of books by Simon & Schuster entitled Inner Sanctum. And even though they didn't necessarily borrow the stories, what they did is they they made an agreement with with, uh, Simon & Schuster to use the name Inner Sanctum Mysteries. And in return, at the end of each show, they would plug the latest book, the latest mystery book. The show was originally uh, hosted by a man by the name of Raymond Ed Johnson. And he created this really great, creepy character. He called himself Mr. Raymond. And he got campy and spooky and and all of that stuff. And he has been emulated so much over the years on other radio programs and also on television hosts for uh, mysteries and creepy shows and whatnot but he's the one that, well it's a character we've come to know so well that he he not only is uh, uh, creepy but he's also very funny at times he he had that role until 1945 when he was uh, when he went into the army and then Paul McGrath replaced him and he just used the title Mr Host instead of Mr Raymond when uh, Lipton T. came on board they introduced another character Mary Bennett, who was a co-host of sorts with, uh, with uh, Mr. Host. And she was the cheerful tea lady. And she would often chastise him for his uh, spookiness and inappropriateness. But then she would get a giggle out of it, too. What we have is a real good uh, episode tonight. It was originally broadcast in January of 1946, January the 22nd to be exact. And it's entitled The Confession. And here it comes.
11: Lipton Tea and Lipton Soup present Inner Sanctum Mysteries. evening, friends of the Inner Sanctum. Welcome. Come right in. There's room enough for everybody. As a matter of fact, the more bodies, the better. (laughs) Don't be surprised by the gloom. It's our new paint job. In black, so the bloodstains won't show.
12: Why, Mr. Host, that's an awful thing to say, giving all these nice people the wrong impression about our program.
11: Oh, on the contrary, Mary. You know very well that our proceedings here are rather... Terrifying and our little family a bit on the gruesome. Of course, it used to be different in the old days of Inner Sanctum, but since then we... gruesome. <laughs> we
12: have indeed, Mr. Hose.
11: And now, friends, draw up your chairs. Dim the lights and listen to a story designed to freeze the spine and set the teeth on edge. It was written by Michael Sklar and Richard Manoff, and it called The Confession... Our star is Santa Sotega, who plays the role of Alex.
8: The last thing I remembered was the gunshot, the thought of the bullet, and the burning pain in my stomach. And everything got black. When I regained consciousness, my impression was of blinding whiteness. There, don't try to move, Mr. Sturgis. Where? Am I? This is the emergency ward of the General Hospital. <coughs> I felt no pain. Just an overall numbness. And a desire to sleep. Am... am I going to die? Yes. How much time have I got? A couple of hours. Doctor, I... I want to make confession... I want to confess to murder. I told the doctor about the money, and I know she was much younger than I, and she thought because I owned a little drugstore, I must be prosperous, and I suppose that's why she married me, in spite of the difference in our ages, but there wasn't any money for fun and nice clothes, so she became restless. But I loved her, and I did my best until the other night in the drugstore.
12: It's 12 o'clock, thank heaven. Time to close up, Alex.
8: Five more minutes, dear. Another customer might come along.
12: (laughs) Just like an old man chasing pennies, never getting anything out of life. Be reasonable, dear. I'm trying to make a living for her. Is this your idea of a living? Is this what you promised me before we were married? I know it's not what
8: you deserve, Lenore, but someday. Oh, you make me
12: sick. I must have been crazy when I married you. Lenore. I'm going to say something I've had on my mind for a long time, Alex. Rather than go on this way, I'd prefer to be dead. Look at you. I don't have to put up with you. I'm still young, Alex. So
8: there it was. Out in the open. An old man with money would have been acceptable. But because I had no money, she was going to leave me. I wanted to plead with her. I would have gotten down on my knees. But before I could say anything, the street door opened, and a man stumbled into the store. Alex, look! Help me, quick. I'm wounded. I helped the man to a chair. He'd been shot in the chest, and the front of his coat was covered with blood. His breathing came hard. A
12: bullet, in my chest.
8: Patch me up. I'm only a pharmacist. You need a doctor.
12: I, I, I'll call Dr. Johnson. No, no, I don't want any doctor. I want you to help me.
8: Is it because doctors must report bullet wounds? Is that why you want a doctor? Never mind my reason. I got plenty of dough. I'll give you $500 to take care of me. Well, I'd better call the police. No, lady, no. Look, mister, take care of me. Give it quite i I'll give you 1000 $1, $1,000? Let me see the money. Here. Yeah. Here's a $1,000 bill. But I got plenty more. No. no. Help me take him into the back room. Oh, but Alex... No, I'll take him myself. You get busy and wipe the blood off the floor. Oh, no. No, you can't. Wipe up the blood. Do as I say, Lenore. Hey. What's taking you so long? I'm looking for a certain medicine among these bottles. See me something to stop the bleeding. Hurry. I'll be ready for you soon. Oh, well, Lenore, did you get the floor clean?
12: Yes, it's clean. How oh. is he?
8: He's in bad shape. Weak from loss of blood.
12: Alex, you, you haven't done anything for him yet. Be quiet. But you've been in here five minutes, and he's just like he was before. Alex, you're stalling. Uh,
8: uh, oh, uh, Alex. At him later.
12: But, but he's dying. I know. Alex, call the police. No. I, are you going to let him die? Yes. That's as bad as murder. I didn't shoot him.
8: It's not my fault if he dies. Lenore, he's got money. Thousands of dollars. No one knows he came here. This is our chance, Lenore.
12: What do you mean?
8: I'm going to let him die. Take his money. And then get rid of his body. He lay still. I stooped and went through his jacket. There was a wallet containing a few one-dollar bills and a driver's license, which I handed to Lenore.
12: Hmm. His name is James Kirk. He lives in Hillsborough.
8: His pockets were crammed full of bills of large denominations. Lenore watched, fascinated, as I counted.
12: Hmm. How much is it, Alex?
8: A little over $78,000. We're rich, Lenore. (laughs) I'm frightened. There's nothing to be afraid of. All we have to do now is wait until he dies and get rid of the body. Do you
12: you need me to help you?
8: No. I can manage alone. This body is heavy.
12: Here.
8: just through the door.
12: Oh. Oh. Alex. He's still alive. Yes. Well, what are you going to do now?
8: It'd be dangerous to wait here until he dies. Anyway, what difference does it make? He'll be dead when he goes into the water.
12: No. No. No, that's murder.
8: Call it what you like. We've gone too far now to stop. You wait in the car. I'm going to carry him to the edge of the pier and drop him over the side. Uh, uh. gone. I watched Kirk's body sink into the water. And I knew the current in the bay would carry it out to sea. One doesn't picture a middle-aged druggist committing a perfect crime. But I felt sure that I'd done it. For I had Kirk's money, and it seemed that no one could connect his death to me. I rejoined Lenore in the car, started for home. After I'd driven for a few minutes, I noticed she was strangely quiet. What's the matter, dear?
12: Nothing. Nothing at all.
8: Something's troubling you. What is it? Nothing! You act as though you're afraid of me.
12: Uh, no. You are afraid of me. Lenore, so why? I never saw you act this way before. Something's happened to you. You're different. Oh, nonsense. Don't you feel it, Alex? You're a murderer. Lenore. You wouldn't even wait until he was dead. Listen
8: to me, Lenore. Whatever I did, I did for your sake. I wanted the money for you. So you could be happy.
12: Oh, how can I be happy with this... this thing hanging over us?
8: We had breakfast the next morning in absolute silence. Then Lenore went to open the store while I wrapped the money in a parcel, took it to the bank, placed it in my box in the safe deposit vault. No one paid any attention to me, although the bank was swarming with police detectives. From the bank, I went directly to the drugstore and found a man there waiting for me. Oh. Mr. Sturgis? Yes? Bigert is my name. Mark Bigert. What can I do for you? I'm an insurance company detective, Mr. Sturgis. I'm investigating the First National Bank robbery for my company. I want you to tell me everything you know about that robbery.
11: (laughs) Don't say I didn't warn you about Alex Sturgis at the beginning of our story. You know, he's quite a guy for an oldish man. A real killer he thinks death begins at forty,
12: Mr. Host, I think Alex Sturgis is a perfectly dreadful
9: person,
11: Ah, oh, but he's a good druggist, Mary. Just the man to go to if you have to fill a prescription for murder
12: <laughs> well, <laughs> we've certainly had plenty of prescriptions for murder, mayhem, and arson on our program, Mr. host
11: and our friends, let's get on with our story. Lying on a hospital bed, Alex Sturgis has confessed to the murder of a bank robber who entered his drugstore in much the same manner as the fly who entered the spider's parlor. Alex pocketed the robber's loot and dumped him, still alive, into the bay. An insurance company detective has just come in to question him.
8: He was a big man, but not fat, this detective. And although he didn't appear to be very intelligent, he had a look of cunning... His clothes were rumpled, and he rolled an unlit cigar around in his mouth as he spoke. Suppose you start from the beginning, Sturgis. There's nothing to talk about, Bigot. I don't know anything about the robbery. You don't, eh? No, I don't. Why should you come here annoying me with silly questions? I'll tell you why I'm here, Sturgis, and then maybe you'll see your way clear to talk. You know, the bank was robbed last night, and the cook got away with better than $78,000? Yes? The night watchman was shot. He's in a coma now, but before he was shot, he shot one of the crooks. What does that have to do with me? I'm coming to you, Sturgis. I'm a slow man, but I'm thorough. Which is more than you can say for the harness bulls on the police force. Take those harness bulls. They didn't spot the trail of blood that wounded crook left when he ducked on the alley behind the bank. <laughs> Funny thing, they clean missed it. But I noticed it, Sturgis. Sturgis. I followed it through the alley and straight up this street. And here's another peculiar thing. The trail ended right smack at the door of this drugstore. Are you implying... Two and two makes four, Sturgis. As I said, I'm not a fancy-pants detective, but here's how I figure it. This yegg was wounded, so he came in here and asked you to fix him up. Which you did. In exchange, he gave you a nice big piece of the tape to keep your mouth shut. Am I right, Sturgis? You're 100% wrong. If you were smart, you'd talk now and save yourself a lot of grief. I've got nothing to tell you. Suit yourself, Sturgis. But here's my business card. In case you change your mind, you can reach me at the Hotel Empire. Oh, by the way, the company is offering a $5,000 reward for the return of that money. I'm not interested. Good day. Okay. It's your next, Sturgis. I'll be seeing you. Alex.
12: Alex, I heard what he said.
8: He knows. I should have thought of the blood outside. Well,
12: how can you stand there and act so calm about it? He knows, I tell
8: you. Take hold of yourself now. If he only suspects, then his suspicions aren't worth two cents unless he can produce evidence. Believe me, we've got nothing to worry about. I was cocky then. Too cocky. Lenore was right. I was a changed man. That money had put iron into my spine. and Then... That afternoon, I got the first of the phone calls. Hello? Sturgis Store. This
12: is Western Union calling. I have a telegram for Mr. Alex
8: Sturgis. This is he speaking.
12: Will you accept the message over the telephone, Mr.
8: Sturgis? Yes, yes, of course.
12: The message reads as follows. Place the money in an envelope and mail it to box number 11, General Post Office. Don't fail to act
8: as instructed because your future depends on it. Is, uh... That all? That's
12: all, Mr. Sturgis. There is no
8: signature. Thank you. Bye.
12: Oh, it was bad enough having that detective snooping around, but now this telegram. Oh, don't take any more chances, Alex. Send the money. No. Alex, please. I'm frightened. Listen, you know.
8: Calm yourself. It's
12: perfectly clear what happened. One
8: of the bank robbers came with Kirk as far as the store. He must have been frightened away by the police. Now he's using this method to get the money. But he won't get it. Why? What are you going to do? I'm going to put a wad of blank paper in an envelope and mail it to that post office box. Then I'll stand watch at the post office and see who claims it. And then what? That money means everything to us, Leno. I've already killed one man for it. If necessary, I'll commit another murder. I placed blank strips of paper in an envelope and mailed the envelope to that post office box. The next morning, I went to the post office and stood near the window waiting for someone to come along and claim the envelope in box number 11. Hours passed. I got hungry. My legs began to shake from exhaustion. I couldn't leave that spot. I meant to stay there until... What are you waiting here for, Sturgis? A voice cut through my thoughts. I looked up. It was Kelly, the policeman. He was suspicious. The clerk noticed you hanging around and called for a cop. It, uh, it's nothing, Kelly. I... I... I arranged to meet my wife here. She's late. I saw your wife through the drugstore window as I came up the street. You must have forgotten all about your appointment. You'd better get back to the store, Sturgis. I couldn't stay there after that. I walked around the block. When I came back, the policeman had disappeared. I entered, went to the window, and asked the clerk if anyone had claimed the mail in Box 11. He nodded. The letter was gone. My plan to discover the identity of Kirk's confederate had the failed. There was nothing to do but go back to the drugstore. It was empty. I felt a sense of danger as soon as I entered. So I closed the street door quietly and walked as silently as I could to the door of the back room. It was open. And I know I was at the telephone.
12: Hello. Hello, Empire? Odell? Now, connect me with Mr. Biggert, please. Yes, Mr. Mark Biggert.
8: Hang up, Lenore. Hang up the receiver. Alex! You were calling that detective.
12: Suppose I was. What of it?
8: You were going to tell him about the money. You were going to double-cross me for the reward.
12: You're so smart, Alex. What are you going to do about it?
8: Lenore, won't you understand? I don't want the money for myself. I took it for you, to give you the things that will make you happy.
12: <laughs> Big-hearted, unselfish Alex.
8: <laughs> what are you laughing at?
12: <laughs> I'll tell you why you took that money, Alex. You thought you could buy me with it. Well, you're wrong. I wouldn't stay with you if you had all the money in the world. Leno, well, would you leave me after all that's happened? I'm packing up right now. No. You can't stop me. I love you, Leno. I love you, I did
8: my best to hold you. But if I can't have you, no one else will have you.
12: What do you mean? Alex, stay away from me.
8: I'm going to kill you,
12: Lenora. Alex, no. Don't. I'm going to
8: kill you, my Let darling.
12: Let me go. I throw.
13: Alex, See? Yes. Let go. You know. oh. <laughs>
8: She's dead. All men... kill the thing they love. And I've killed you, Lenore. I felt empty. Drained of all emotion. I buried her body in the cellar of the drugstore. I was even a bit glad... that it ended in this fashion. And now, Lenore would be with me forever. Did I say it was ended? I was wrong. I found no peace. But the very next morning, Bigot came to the drugstore. Good morning, Sturgis. Nice morning, isn't it? What do you want? Just stop by to have a chat, Sturgis. Been giving a lot of thought to the first National Bank robbery. You know, that night watchman came out of his coma this morning. Why tell me about it? I thought you might be interested. He is an angle, Sturgis. The watchman says the robbery was pulled by only one man. One single crook, and he was shot. Nice angle, isn't it? Is it? Yes, it gave me a new idea, Sturgis. Now, I'm no Sherlock Holmes, but I figure it this way. That crook came in here and asked you to fix him up. we have gone through this before. I'm going to take it a little further, Sturgis. The crook asked you to fix him up, but you got to peek at all that money, so you let him die. Took the money and disposed of the body. How's that for a theory? Very clever. Can you produce the body? No, the police haven't been able to locate it, but I'm not discouraged, Sturgis. Those harness bulls aren't very smart. I'll find that body. And when you do? I'm an insurance company, Dick Sturgis. I want that $78,000. When I find that body, I'll come around here and you'll cough it up. I've told you before, I know nothing about that robbery or the money. I've got work to do. Suppose you run along. Okay, Sturgis. So long. Hello. Sturgis Store.
12: Western Union calling. I have a telegram for Mr. Alex
8: Sturgis. This is he speaking. Read it to me, please.
12: The message reads as follows. Received your letter. Contents not what requested. Suggest you obey instructions... Same box number
8: and post office. This is final. Is is there a signature? No,
12: sir. There's no
8: signature, Mr. Sturgis. Well, my head was reeling. But out of the confusion in my mind, one thought emerged. The night watchman had said Kirk had no Confederates in the bank robbery. Therefore, the person sending me the telegram must be Kirk. The salt water of the bay must have revived him. Kirk was still alive. I found Kirk's wallet on the shelf where Lenore had placed it the night all this began. From the driver's license, I copied his home address. I waited till after midnight and drove to Hillsboro, where I found Kirk's apartment in an old tenement building. The door was unlocked. I drew out my gun and entered. I meant to kill Kirk. I had to kill him. The living room was empty. No one was in the bedroom. I turned and walked back to the living room. Drop that gun, Sturgis. Pick it. Drop the gun. Quick, I'm not taking any chances with you. How, how, how did you know? How did I know you were going to come here, Sturgis? <laughs> Sit down on that chair by the table and I'll tell you. You? You sent the telephone? Yes, I sent them. You got me to think that Kirk was still alive. That's right. And you followed me here. You tell me. It's all clear now, isn't it, Sturgis?
13: <laughs>
8: you take two and two and add it up and it comes out four. Now, where's the money? The money? We're going to cut out the cute stuff, Sturgis. I want that money. Now, where is it? It's in a medicine jar. On a shelf in the back room of the drugstore. All right, let's go, Sturgis. First you'll give me the money, and then I'll take you down to police headquarters. We drove to the drugstore. I led him into the back room. I knew exactly what I was going to do. On one of the shelves was a bottle of hydrochloric acid. Bigger thought it was the bottle containing the money. I reached up, uncorked the bottle, and flung the burning liquid into st- his. Oh, I'm blind.
14: I'll kill you for this, Sturgis. If I could only see you. Where are you,
8: Sturgis?
13: Sturgis! Sturgis, where are
8: you? I was huddled against the wall. He stood between me and the door, screaming in pain, firing his gun blindly. The first three shots missed, but the fourth bullet struck me in the stomach. Oh, my,
13: oh. Oh.
8: The last thing I remember, is bigot running out of that room shouting for help. I lost consciousness soon after. When I came to, I found myself here in this hospital. You know the rest of the story, Doctor. And that's your confession, eh? That's my confession. Did you get all that down on paper, Mr. Biggert? Got every word of it, Doctor. Nick! you... how did you get here? I thought... Hydrochloric acid. You thought you blinded me permanently, but not enough of the stuff get into my eyes to do any real damage. <coughs> I... Oh, Lenore. Lenore. He's dead, bigot. I've seen a lot of funny cases in my time, Doc, but this speeds them all. He's a man who commits murder to get a lot of stolen money for his wife. Then he kills his wife. And finally he gets killed himself. And the money? <laughs> the money is safe and sound in the bank safe deposit vault.
11: <laughs> oh, what a pity. Exit Sturges. Yes, Bigot smoked him out just like a poor fish. <laughs> smoked Sturges. Think of it, a respectable pharmacist ending up that way, and all because of his wife.
12: Now, there you go again, Mr. Host, always blaming it on a woman. Oh,
11: come, come, Mary. You know very well that was Lenore's fault. If you ask me, Alex should have tossed her oxide and tended to his business. He never would have been there by the copper. But the fool, he didn't think of it. Now the world is iridium.
12: Goodness, (laughs) Mr. Host.
11: (laughs) And now, friends, a word of advice to all prospective murderers. Never fall in love with your victim because, as Oscar Wilde found out, it's so embarrassing to kill the thing you love. (laughs) Oh, by the way, this month's Inner Sanctum Mystery Novel is The Pavilion by Hilda Lawrence. Next week, the makers of Lipton Tea and Lipton Soup will bring you another Inner Sanctum Mystery directed by Hyman Brown and called... The Blood of Cain. It's a grim little story of a New Orleans family with a fine old tradition of murder. Yes, this family tree casts a shadow of death. So, if you're able, tune in next Tuesday and we'll all raise Cain. <laughs> Until then, good night. Pleasant dreams? Hmm? <laughs>
5: This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System.
0: The name of that episode was The Confession. It was first broadcast on January twenty-second, 1946. I've come across quite a treasure trove of inner sanctums. Most of them, almost all of them, in really good quality sound. So we will be incorporating these in as the weeks ahead unfurl. One of the things about Inner Sanctum, for the most part, and the same is true for a lot of the other so-called creepy shows, is they really usually had more to do with irony and uh, the way people misperceive things. Like, there's an Inner Sanctum that I was listening to last night that I considered playing, and I, I may play it in the weeks ahead, where a woman was sure that she was in contact with her dead husband, but it ended up kind of like in this play tonight, where they were duping her you know the detectives or whoever the protagonists in the show were were duping her and usually that's the way they played out because i will not play just for my own personal reasons i will not play anything that has to do with uh the occult or the living dead or anything like that so i just want you to know that ahead and i will screen these shows very carefully to make sure that that doesn't happen (laughs) Something familiar.
5: Something peculiar. Something for everyone a comedy tonight. Ah! Something appealing. Something appalling. Something for everyone a comedy tonight. <laughs> Nothing with kings. Nothing
14: with crowns.
2: Bring on the lovers, liars, and clowns. Ah! Situation, no complications.
11: Something
14: pretentious or polite. Good
0: night. <laughs> well, on our Comedy Corner this week, we're going to go out to Beverly Hills and visit with Jack and the gang. This is a Jack Benny show that was originally broadcast on the 28th of December in 1947, four days after yours truly entered into the world. The name of this one is Goodbye, 1947 and Hello, 1948. And if you listen closely, you'll get a very funny history lesson. No kidding, I mean a true history lesson. Listen, you'll see.
5: The Lucky Strike program starring Jack Benny with Mary Livingston, Phil Harris, Rochester, Dennis Day and yours truly, Don Wilson. Ladies and gentlemen, let's go back about an hour to Jack Benny's home in Beverly Hills where Jack has just finished having his lunch. Ah, uh, it was a very good lunch, Rochester. The best
2: hash that I, I've ever tasted. I made it from last night's leftovers. Uh, what did we have last night? Hash! <laughs> <laughs> Well, I got to rush over for my broadcast, so let's get these dishes washed. I'll do them. No, no, Rochester, I'll do them. I want to try out that new electric dishwasher I got for Christmas. But, boss, there's something wrong with it. Oh, nonsense. You probably don't know how to operate it. I'll show you how. Now, you put the dirty dishes in like this. And close the door. Now, you turn on the switch. Da 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 dum
15: da 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 dum da
2: da 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 Da-dum. There, that ought to be enough. And now to take out the dishes, and you open the door like this.
14: I told you, boss, there's something wrong with it.
2: Well, there shouldn't be. It's a new machine. I'm gonna try it again. Get some more dishes out of the cupboard. But, boss! Open the cupboard.
14: Okay. What was that? The dishes I washed yesterday. (laughs) I can't understand what's wrong. Neither can I. I put it together the same day that I assembled the other kitchen appliances.
2: I don't see why it should break the dishes. It looks all right from the outside. Let's take a look on the inside. Oh, for heaven's sake, Rochester, the egg beater belongs on the Mixmaster. Not in the the dishwasher.
14: Then I must have put the part from the dishwasher on the Mixmaster. Why? This morning I tried to make a cake. When I turned on the switch, a big arm came out, grabbed me by the back of the neck, threw me in the bowl, and scrubbed me on both sides. What? And before I knew it, I was sitting in the cupboard on the third shelf.
2: (laughs) See, they even put them away for you. Rochester, uh, call the appliance company and tell them to come out and fix the machine. I got to get down to the studio.
14: But, boss, you can't go in those old clothes and you need a shave, too.
2: I haven't got time now. I'll clean up at the studio. Now go out in the garage and get the car, please.
14: The car ain't running.
2: Rochester, did you wreck the car?
14: Well, boss, it wasn't my fault. What happened? Well, I took the car out for a while last night, and on my way home, I made a sharp turn and came face to face with a steamroller. Steamroller?
2: Oh, so that's why you were so quiet when you got home last night. I didn't even hear
14: you open the garage. I didn't have to. I slid the car into the door.
2: Rochester, you mean my car was flattened and that thin? If I had
14: a stamp, I could have mailed it to you. <laughs>
2: oh, well, you better get it fixed. Anyway, I'll take the bus down to the studio. So long, Rochester. So long, boss. Gee, I'll be late. There should be a bus coming along here. Oh, my goodness, I left my money and my other clothes. Well, maybe I can hitch a ride down. Here comes a car now. Going downtown, Bud? (laughs) Uh Uh-oh, here comes another. Going downtown? Here comes going downtown. Mm. Mm. See, that one had a trailer on (laughs) it. Well, maybe I better start walking. Gee, if I don't get a hit soon, I'll be late for the broadcast. Hey, going downtown, mister? Yeah, hop in, bud. Move over, Sophie.
10: Let him sit
9: in the back. <laughs> yes,
2: yes, the, the back's all right. I hope I'm not putting you folks in too much trouble. That's all right, bud. You see, I would have taken the bus, but I didn't have the money. You don't have to explain, bud. Sophie, slipped the poor guy a buck. <laughs> but I don't need... Give the... him an extra two bits. He needs a shave, too. <laughs> Look, mister, I don't Where need you th- going, bud? 10 B.C. How do you like that, Sophie? Instead of looking for a job, he goes to see radio programs
9: Yeah, he's probably too old to work anyway
2: Yeah Hey, by the way, bud, how old are you? 38 Hey, Max, did you
9: hear what he said?
2: Sophie, when you can't hold a job, your family throws you out You bum around the country all your life When you get to be 38, you look like that (laughs) Look, mister... Nothing personal, bud. And by the way, where do you live? Beverly Hills. Get him, Sophie. Beverly Hills. I uh, suppose you have a big house and a butler and a swimming pool. Max, stop teasing him. Okay, okay. Gee, there's a nice car you have here. What kind is it? A Buick. Oh, boy, I wish I had one like it. What year is it?
16: 1928.
2: (laughs) Gosh. (laughs) Yeah, this is a beauty.
16: Turn on the radio, Sophie.
2: Did I tell you about the place called Do What Did It ain't no town. It ain't no city. It's awful small. Hey, awful they started the do program Our Our without me. She's got basement. It's my own fault. Sophie, no turn, turn off Virginia the radio. Basement pool. What's griping you, bud? Plenty. They started the program without me. How do you like that, Sophie? This bum's got a ticket to the program, and he wants him to wait till he gets there. <laughs> Now, wait a minute, mister. You can't talk to me like that. All right, all right. Calm down. I won't calm down. Do you know who I am? Sure, sure. You're Bing Crosby or Bob Hope or Jack Benny.
9: Max, for heaven's sake, stop teasing him. (laughs) Okay,
2: okay, Sophie. Turn on the radio again. Hey, Donzie. Donzie, what did Jackson get you for Christmas? Shoelaces again? No,
5: no. Jack didn't know what to get me this year, so he came over to my house and painted my bedroom. Hey, Phil, how'd Santa Claus treat you? Oh, great, Donsey, great I got a lot of stuff for my
2: friends But the best gift of all is this fountain pen Just look at it But, Phil, you have several fountain pens Not like this one You know that little sack inside that holds the ink? Yeah, bourbon <laughs> Bourbon? Yes, sir, I got the only fountain pen with a ball point <laughs> and If he thinks that's funny, he's got another gift Sophie, g- turn off the radio What's griping you now, bud? Nothing. I just didn't think that joke was funny. Oh, I suppose you can tell him better. You're darn right I can tell him better. Did you hear the one about Ed, the.
13: Ed, shut up! <laughs>
5: <laughs> hmm. Sophie, turn on the radio. Okay. And now, ladies and gentlemen, as long as Jack isn't here yet, we'll keep things rolling with a number from our singing star, Dennis Day. Go ahead, Dennis
15: the stars will remember the night we said goodbye the stars
5: Dennis Day, and Dennis, that okay, was Okay, really... Don,
2: okay, I'm here. you, Jackson. Hello, Jack. Hello, fellas. Yeah, I'm sorry I'm late, but I rode down here with Barbara Stanwyck and Robert Taylor, and they, <laughs> they just wouldn't let me go, you
13: know?
2: <laughs> Say, Dennis, you sang beautifully. How do you know? I heard the program on the way down. Hey, Jackson, didn't Livy come down with you? No, Phil, Mary can't be on the show today. she got a cold, but she's getting along all right. Now, kids... What'd you give her for Christmas, Jack? Mary? Oh, I gave her a beautiful gift. A pair of alligator shoes. Alligator shoes? That's awful. What's awful about it?
7: Now some poor alligators running around barefooted.
2: <laughs> oh, for heaven's sake. Now, kid... In the winter, too. <laughs> Dennis, be quiet.
7: A uh, kid... Oh, say, Mr. Benny. What? See this tie I'm wearing? My girl knitted it for me for Christmas.
2: Your tie? Well, what are those things hanging on the sides?
7: sleeve. She started to make a sweater and changed her mind.
2: (laughs) Oh, well, it looks nice, Dennis, and that's a pretty stick pin you have in it.
7: That's one of the needles. She forgot to take it out.
2: (laughs) Well, it's a beautiful gift, though. Now, kids, I'm sorry I was late, but now that I'm here... We better get on with the show because we've got a very important play to do. Well, Jack, before we go into that, I think we ought to have a commercial. I've got the quartet right here. Oh, yes, the sportsmen. Well, all right, Don, let's have the commercial first. Jack, the boys have a very bad cold, but they'll do the best they can. All four of them have a cold? The four of them? Yes. Gee, that's too bad. Well, let's hear the commercial anyway. Okay, take it, boys. <laughs>
15: Happy days are (laughs) again with New Year's Eve. So (laughs) again, we will all stand up and (laughs) again. Happy days for you and me. (laughs) Lucky days are here to stay. In fact, they've never been away. So we'll celebrate on,
2: on.
13: On New Year's Day with (mumbles) an (uage] L, S, and
2: too bad you've all got the flu. I can tell you just what to do. Get in bed and stay there. Speedy we will be here soon. We got it straight from empty food.
15: So let's light up while we sing this tooth. Happy days are here
13: again. Then <coughs> <Again.
9: coughs> here again. <coughs>
2: They must have caught that cold from Guy Lombardo, I think (laughs) Don, wipe off the microphone We'll get on with the show And now, ladies and gentlemen For our feature attraction tonight Even though we haven't done it for a couple of years We're going to present another of our New Year's fantasies Called The New Tenant Or Goodbye 47, Hello 48 Now, in this fantasy Wait a minute, Jack How are you going to do without Mary? She always plays the part of Columbia Oh, my goodness, you're right and Mary can't be here Hey, Jackson, you don't have to throw out our play I just got an idea What is it? Well, look, I rehearsed my show right across the hall And Alice will be tickled to death to come in and pinch hit for Mary Well, gee, yeah, I don't know, Phil it's, uh... She'll do it for nothing Oh, well, go get her
13: <laughs> <laughs>
2: Can You Go ahead What do you mean, go get her?
9: What do you want, honey?
2: Oh, hello, Alice Hello, Jack. Alice, I'm so glad you came in We want you to help us out with our play You see, Mary can't be here
9: Oh, that's too bad What's wrong with Mary? She's
7: home in bed with a bad case of alligator shoes
9: <laughs>
2: Dennis, Mary has a cold, Alice Now, let's get on with the show Now, in our fantasy I will play the part of the old year 1947 Who is living in a big boarding house Run by Uncle Sam and his wife, Columbia Now, uh, Alice, you'll play the part of Columbia Columbia? Yes
9: On this network?
2: (laughs) Well, NBC has the holiday spirit, you see. But Alice, I mean that you play Columbia, the mother of America, and you were born in 1776. You know how old that makes you?
9: 38.
2: (laughs) 38?
9: If it's good enough for you, it's good enough for me.
13: Oh.
2: Well, there's room there for both of us, you know. Now,
9: Phil... Well, you
2: play the part of Uncle Sam, and you and Alice have 48 children. And you may soon have another child, Hawaii. Alice, come back. It's only a play.
13: <laughs> <laughs>
2: yes. Now, Dennis, you will represent the different countries in the world that come in and say goodbye to the old year.
7: But gee, how can I play all the different countries? I'm so confused.
2: I couldn't have cast it any better (laughs) Now let's get on with our play The New Tenant Or Goodbye 47 Hello 48 As the curtain rises It is 2 o'clock in the afternoon Of December 31st And Old Man 47 Is packing his bags Getting ready to make his exit Curtain Music Oh Columbia Columbia Come here a minute, will you
9: please? what do you want, 47? Give
2: me a hand, will you? I gotta get out of here before midnight and make room for the new tenant.
9: Well, it's only two o'clock in the afternoon. What's your hurry? I got a lot of packing
2: to do. Hand me that, will you?
9: Oh, why, old timer? gum.
2: Yep. Love the stuff. <laughs>
9: but how can you
2: chew it? You ain't got the teeth. I gum my gum by gum. <laughs> <laughs> one he knows always breaks him.
13: <laughs>
2: Say, I wonder if it's still raining out. What a day. Doggone it's thundering, too. Isn't that awful on my last day here? I'm going to have a talk with Thunder. Oh, Thor? Thor? Yeah. <laughs>
0: Are you Thor? No, just a little angry. (laughs) Now, cut that out.
2: Now, don't be funny. This is my last day on
14: Earth. Good. What? (laughs) You've been a lousy year, and I'm glad to get rid of you.
2: Lousy year? What are you talking about? I've been as busy as a bee. Tremendous production. Making automobiles, airplanes, refrigerators, television sets, clothes, typewriters, boats, radios, and lots of other things. I know, but they all went to the woman who guessed who Miss Hush was. (laughs) Oh, keep quiet. I said keep quiet. That Thor (laughs) makes me sick, showing off with his thunder. Just mad because the Chamber of Commerce won't let him in California. (laughs) (laughs) Say, Columbia, hand me those songs, will you? I'm going to take them with me.
7: Here you are.
2: Let me see. A feuding, a fussing, and a fighting. Lady from 29 Palms. And oh, here's this one. Chababa, chababa, chawan, wan, chilan, la Chababa, Never did find out what that meant.
9: <laughs> Say, old timer, take this with you two. I can't stand it. What is it? That's what I like about the South.
12: Lord <laughs> oh,
2: I never found out what that meant either. Okay, give it to me. Well, howdy, old timer. I don't want you, Sam. Afraid you wouldn't get here in time to see me go. Well, I'm sorry, but I've been busy.
9: What you been doing, Sam?
2: Been over in Arizona trying to help some of our children, them Navajos.
9: <laughs>
2: the uh, Navajo Indians? Yep. The way they, way we treated them, our faces should be red too. Yeah. I hope you see everything's all right though from now on. Well, I better get on. Come in. Hey, it's my neighbor, Mexico. Mexico?
7: Excuse me for talking in your face, senor, but I came to say goodbye, I think.
13: <laughs>
2: well, thank you. Say, hey, Mexico, it was awful nice of you to come up and say goodbye to the old timer.
7: Oh, it was nothing, senor. I was tired of fiesta, so I came up to your country to siesta. Uh, to sleep? No, to siesta, Williams.
2: Williams. You like her, eh? Chibaba, chibaba, chihuahua. Oh, so that's what it means. (laughs) Well, thanks for dropping in, Mexico. Good luck. Adios, senor. That was darn nice of him. Well, Columbia, I better get down with... Say, isn't it too early for the new year to be getting here? What do you mean, old-timer? Look out the window. Here Here he comes now without any clothes on, just a cloth wrapped around him. Hey, are you with the new year? No, I'm on my way home from Santa Anita.
13: <laughs>
2: Doggone, I thought sure. Now, who can that be?
9: Come in. Oh, look, it's, it's England.
2: Well, hello, England. Come on in. Just dropped in to say goodbye, old chap. Thanks. <laughs> Say, hey, wait a minute, England. Is it uh, snowing outside? No, that's rice on my shoulders.
7: We had a big wedding a little while ago.
2: Oh, yes, yes.
7: And uh, how are you, Uncle Sam?
2: You'll get it. You'll get it. Take your hands out of my pocket. <laughs> Well, don't make him wait too long, Sam He needs it pretty bad Thanks, old-timer, and cheerio So long, England, and good luck You know, he's quite a guy Now, let's see, what else can I pack?
9: Do you want to take these flying saucers with you?
2: No, I need them like a moose needs a hat rack (laughs) I heard that on some radio program Something about Norman Krasny (laughs) I wonder if it's still raining
9: No, it's just a little cloudy But, oh, look Look, the sun's a-breaking through.
2: Well, doggone if it ain't, here comes the sun. Hello, Sal <laughs> <laughs> Hello, old-timer <laughs> God, look at the way the sun is beaming Yep, and get a load of that beam <laughs> <laughs> Hey, Sal, nice of you to come out on the last day Yeah, just warming it up for the Rose Bowl game <laughs> Oh, yeah Well, Sal, you ought to go to New York, melt some of that snow they got over there That
14: was my fault, they kept singing about a white Christmas and they got it
2: <laughs> <laughs> I guess you're
14: right well, so long, Sal. So long, old-timer.
2: <laughs> Always like to see him. Does my rheumatism good. Well, I better finish packing. <laughs> gone. I'm all alone. It's almost midnight. Gosh, I'm tired. Sure had a tough time. Did the best I could, though, and I... Hope the new fella will do a lot better. Uh-oh. There's the first stroke of midnight. New tenant ought to be here any second now. Well, i better get my bags and just... Hey, that must be him now. Come in. Well, it's a little new year, all right. Hello, sonny.
9: Hello, old-timer.
2: Say, you're a cute little rascal.
9: Thank you. <laughs>
2: you even got that new look. Your diaper's two inches longer. (laughs) (laughs) Come on in. Make yourself at home. I'm just about to leave. Oh, by the way, Sonny, before I go, I want to show you my picture album.
13: Your picture album?
2: Yep. Here, I'll show you. Now, take a good look at this picture. Here's something I'm mighty proud of.
13: That looks like a railroad yard with all those trains.
2: Yep. That long one over there is the friendship train. Started out with just a dozen cars. But every place it stopped, people added more and more food for Europe.
12: What's this other one over here?
2: Oh, that, that's called the Freedom Train.
12: The Freedom Train?
2: Yep. And I want you to get as many people as possible to see it. Whole life's life on that train. Bill of Rights. Manicipation Proclamation. Declaration of Independence.
13: Those are big words. What do they mean?
2: Well, I'll sum it up for you in the words of a great man. Abraham Lincoln. That government of the people, by the people, and for the people shall not perish from the earth.
13: That makes a lot of sense.
2: Well, Sonny, I gotta be going now, but I want to tell you one thing.
13: What's that, old timer?
2: You're even gonna have a tougher job than I had, but you'll have an extra day to do it. You're a leap year. Leap year? Yeah, it's a special year they throw in just for the women. <laughs> you know, so those that ain't been asked can do the asking. <laughs> The poor guy knows it He's married
13: Married? What's that?
2: Oh, just another version Of feuding Of fussing And of fighting (laughs) Well, Sonny Be sure And take care of Columbia And Uncle Sam I will And the rest of the world Ain't in too good shape A lot of people hungry But there's a fellow here By the name of Marshall Who's got a plan To sort of help him out Marshall? Yep George Marshall Now, his plan's Gonna cost a lot of money But it's worth Every cent of it Always remember, Sonny, isn't money that counts, it's people. And it's up to those who have to help those who haven't. Well, I'm just about ready. Oh yes, uh, one more thing, Sonny. Yes, sir? A Lot, awful lot of things in this world that ain't good, you know, There's distrust, and greed, and racial prejudice and hatred. See if you can do something about it.
9: I sure will.
2: Well, it's gotta be going. Good luck, 48.
9: Thanks, old-timer.
2: Now be sure and take care of everybody.
9: I will. Goodbye, 47.
2: So long, Sonny. Happy New Year, everybody. Ladies and gentlemen, Phil and Alice can also be heard on their own show every Sunday, and don't forget to listen to A Day in the Life of Dennis Day on Wednesdays. On our show tonight, we had with us Mel Blank, B. Benaderet, Frank Nelson, and little Johnny McGovern. And I hope everybody had a very merry Christmas, and on behalf of my cast and my sponsors, I want to wish each and every one of you a very This is
5: NBC, no- the national broadcasting company.
0: That was Jack Benny from December 28th, 1947. Told you there was a history lesson there. Did you notice when Phil Harris was portraying Uncle Sam, uh, Jack said, Why are you late? And he said, Well, I was down there in Arizona taking care of some Navajo children. We should be red faced for what we've done to them. And I'm not really sure exactly. I've done a lot of research on this and I can't pinpoint exactly what was going on in 47. But I think. I'm pretty sure it had to do with the forcing of children on the reservation to go to boarding schools because the government wanted to tear away from them, basically, their Indian heritage. Now, there's a lot to be said about this, and this was an ongoing fight until the 60s or even the early 70s. But I think I'm pretty sure that's what he was talking about. Of course, uh, Esther Williams, as most of you know, was a championship swimmer and uh, did a lot of movies in swimsuits. And that's why uh, Dennis was, uh, what did he say? I came up to Siesta, Siesta Williams. (laughs) Queen Elizabeth. Queen Elizabeth, the queen that is still queen to this day, wasn't crowned queen until 1952. I think it was 52, but she was married on 11-20-1947, so that's why England still had rice on their shoulders, and the reason England had their hand in the pocket of Uncle Sam was because they needed a tremendous bailout to help them get back on their feet financially after World War Two, and that, of course, came in the form of the Marshall Plan, which uh, dedicated $12 billion to rebuilding Western Europe. By today's standards, or using today's currency, that would be closer to about probably $120 billion. The song that Jack uh, was referring to, I will play at the end of the show going out if we have time. I would like to comment, say other things about this Navajo situation because there's another possibility. but We just don't have time. In fact, there's a number of things I would like to uh, talk about. That we heard in this show tonight. But again, between my voice and the lack of time, we'll just have to save it for another show. <laughs> Now, no! Oh. This week on Gunsmoke, we have a very dramatic episode, and it's also one with one of those great gunsmoke endings. The name of this one is Doc's Reward. so Howard McNear is featured as Doc very much in his show. It originally aired on the 29th of April in 1956, and this is a good one. Here it comes: Gunsmoke and Doc's Reward.
16: The Cape Cod girls, they have no combs They comb their hair with codfish bones (laughs) Little mare, what's the matter with you? You've seen a man on a horse before, you calm down, girl (laughs) They're only waiting to say hello to us (laughs) Hold up there, Doc Hello, stranger You are Doc Adams, ain't you? I am you're a long way from Dodge, and I'm headed for Cam Seaton's place. That's about fifteen miles on south. Oh, you know him? Sure, I know him. A horse kicked him in the chest, and I hear he's pretty badly hurt. Some cowboy rode by, found him, and got him into bed, and then came to Dodge after me. I just came from Cam Seaton's, Doc. Oh, well, then how is he? There's nothing wrong with him. What's that? No. <laughs> That cowboy was funning you. Cam never got kicked by no horse. I don't believe it. Nobody would play a joke like that. Well, it's true. You better turn around and go back to Dodge. Somebody might be needing you there. I'm telling you, Dodge. I don't know you, mister. Who are you? Just do what I say. I get that buggy turned around. I'm driving on to Cam Seton's. You won't drive nowhere if I shoot your horse, Doc. Put that gun away. You gonna do what I say? Of course I'm not. Then you're gonna be a foot, Doc. You shoot that horse, I'll shoot you. Oh, a shotgun, eh? Now what are you doing with a shotgun, Doc? i like to eat prairie chicken, mister. But I've seen what two barrels of birdshot can do to a man. <laughs> you? Doctor, your bluff. Beloved... There's a man with a caved-in chest waiting for me 15 miles from here. You kill my horse, he might be dead before I can get there. Oh, yes, mister, I'll shoot if I have to. You won't turn around go back to dodge? Nobody keeps me from being where I'm needed. The horse goes, Doc. And if you try anything, you go next. Don't you do it? Watch me. <laughs> uh, I told you not to. I told you. <laughs>
1: You still think Doc came here, Mr. Dillon?
3: Well, there are his footprints, Chester, headed straight for the house.
1: Well, I just can't
3: believe no part of it.
1: His horse back there dead and his buggy and that body laying in it all bloody.
3: Look on the porch, sir. Hmm? He just came out of the house. Yeah. It's Doc, all right.
16: Hello, Matt. Chester.
3: Hello, Doc. The Allen boy reported finding your horse and buggy back there, Doc. I'm glad to see you're all
16: right. I'm all right, man. How's Cam Seaton? He was dead when I got here. Oh? I guess you saw the man I left in my buggy. Yeah. He was a stranger to me, man. You kill him, Doc? He killed my horse. And I shot him before he even turned his gun on me. His horse ran off. I see. So I guess it isn't exactly self-defense, is it?
3: Well, that's not for me to decide, Doc. Am I under arrest?
16: The day I have to arrest you is the day I quit. There'll be talk, Matt. People say I ought to be waiting trial and jail, and they'll be blaming you for it. You sure you know what you're doing?
3: Too bad that man's horse ran off, Doc. You might have got here in time if you hadn't had to walk. Mm-hmm.
1: It's a bad worried, are you, Doc? Uh, worried? About what, Chester? Well, the way everybody's sort of been eyeing you ever since we got back. Oh no, not everybody, Chester. Well, now you take that fellow across the street, standing there by the town soil. Uh, yeah. Seems like he's always watching you from somewheres. I don't think I even know that man, Chester. He ain't been in town but a couple
16: of days. Well, who is he? Well, I don't know. Well, he's got nothing to do with me. You're forever dreaming up something, Chester. I always said there's too much schoolgirl in you. Now, you listen here to
1: me, Doc. I don't know what you're talking about, but I ain't sure I like Well, it. let me know when you make up your mind. I'm going to go back to my house. Wait, wait a minute. Eh, what's what? Here's Mr. Dillon. My, he looks real mad about something.
3: Yes, he does. Let's go over to the Texas Trail, Doc. What for? I just told off a few of our leading citizens up the street, and now I want to be seen buying you a drink to really give them something to talk about.
16: Now, wait a minute, Matt. I I know what they've been saying about me not being in jail. But you can't fight them all.
3: It isn't all of them. It's only a rotten few so far. Come on. I want everybody to know where I stand. No.
16: No, Matt. can
1: I come, too? I'd be proud to buy a second round myself. How about it, Doc?
16: Well... Well... I guess I can't turn down a drink with, with a couple of friends. Thank you, Matt. Thank you, too, Chester. Now I really had better get back to my office. Okay, Doc. Hold on a minute. There's that fellow
1: again, Doc. He followed us in
3: here.
1: What? At the end of the bar there, Mr. Jones. He keeps watching Doc all the while.
3: You know him, Doc?
1: Well, there,
3: there is something familiar about him. What do you mean he's been watching Doc, Justin?
1: I don't know, but every doggone time I'm with Doc, I see him. Matt?
3: Yeah?
16: I know who he looks like now. Who? The man I killed. What? Yes, there's a resemblance. A very definite resemblance. Well, who do you think it might be? Well, I'm not sure of it. But... I feel kind of funny inside, same as I did out there on the prairie. You two, wait here.
3: I'd like to know your name, stranger. You would? No offense. I'm Marshal Dillon. Now, what's your name? Nate. Nate what? Nate'll do, Marshal or no Marshal. Where you from? Colorado. What are you doing in Dodge? You got something against me. Say it out, Marshal. All right. Doc Adams killed a man last week. He thinks you look like you might be related to him. Your Doc Adams has got a bad conscience, maybe. I can't help who I look like. He could be wrong, but if he's right, I want you to remember something. Doc's a friend of mine. If anything happened to him, I'd take it real personal. You ain't talking about me, Marshal. It'd be a bad death, mister. I'd kill real hard, Chester. Yes, sir. Go get yourself a shotgun. What? You're gonna stay with Doc, day and night, from now on. I'm sorry to bother you, uh, Kitty. Come
17: in. come in, I was just getting ready to go to work. I wasn't expecting company.
3: Uh, it's about this trouble Doc's in, Kitty. I, oh. I think you might be able to help.
17: Well, I'd do anything for Doc, Matt. You know that.
3: Well, this will take your whole evening. Won't be easy. Go on. There's a stranger been hanging around town. Says his first name is Nate. Uh... He's medium height, wears a buckskin jacket and a brown slouch hat. Yeah, I've seen him. Well, Doc thinks he might be related to the man he killed. He thinks it might be his brother.
17: You want me to find out?
3: Well, it might take a lot of doing, Kitty. Maybe it's asking too much.
17: You can't put him in jail, Matt. I might save Doc's life.
3: Well, I doubt if he's a man to get drunk by himself or easily. And even drunk, I don't know if you can make him talk.
17: Leave that to me, Matt. It's like I said, I'll do anything for Doc.
3: Chester. come on, wake up.
1: Oh, my.
3: Oh, I must have fell asleep. I thought I told you to stay with Doc.
1: Well, I was with him all last night and all today, so far. Well, where is he now? Well, I don't know. We were playing some cards here, and then I laid down for a minute. And, oh, dear, I just don't know how I could have felt Go up to his like office, that.
3: see if he's there, and stay with him if he <laughs> yeah.
1: is. Yes, sir, I will. Oh, I just don't know how it could have happened. Well, Miss Kitty... Chester?
17: It's nice to see you, but I gotta go. I went to
3: Uh, sleep a while. Well, Matt. Uh, Sit down, Kitty. You look tired.
17: That was about the longest night I ever spent.
3: Where's uh, Nate, whatever his name is?
17: Last I saw of him, it was dawn, and he was almost asleep on one of the tables at the Long Branch. You are right, Matt. That man sure can drink.
3: Well, Kitty, did it do any good?
17: Yeah, some. His name's Nate Brandle. Brandle? Mm Mm-hmm. His brother's name was Miles Brandle.
3: Yeah. And it was his brother Doc killed.
17: Well, that's why Nate's after Doc. I guess he just hasn't had a good chance to get him yet. But he's going to
3: imagine. No, he isn't. I'll run him out of town now that I really know who he is.
17: Well, you want to hear the rest of it first.
3: (sighs) Yeah, go ahead, Kitty.
17: Well, Nate's brother, this Miles Brandle... He heard Cam Seton was living here, and he rode all the way from Colorado to kill him. And
3: he found him lying there hurt, and learned that he'd sent for Doc. Huh?
17: I guess he figured if he could keep Doc away, Cam wouldn't need killing.
3: And yeah, he was right. Why
17: was he after Cam? Well, Nate didn't say much about that. But the important thing is that Miles was an outlaw, the price of a thousand dollars on his head.
3: I never had a circular on him.
17: It's true, anyway, according to Nate. That's why he's after Doc so bad. He thinks Doc shot his brother for the reward money.
3: But hasn't he heard this story?
17: He doesn't believe it, Matt. Mr. Dillon?
3: Yeah, Chester?
17: Doc
1: left a note on his jaw that he's down at the stable looking over a new buggy horse. I'm going to hurry on down there.
3: Wait a minute. I'm going with you, Chester. Kitty, I, uh, I think Doc will be wanting to thank you himself for what you've done.
1: inside the door. Yeah. I don't see no buggy
3: horse doing or nobody else. But well, at least Doc's still all right.
1: Well, I promise I won't never fall asleep again. I
3: will we'll take Doc back to the office where he'll be safe and then I'll go round up Nate Brandle.
1: Now, where's he going? Hey, Doc? Somebody shot him.
2: him. Yeah, come on. I'm all right, Matt. Stay down, Doc.
1: There he goes out that stall. Hold it. got him.
16: Doc! Did you kill him, Matt?
3: I tried not to, Doc. You hit me twice.
16: Yeah. let me have a look. No.
3: You finished me like you finished my
16: brother. Oh, don't be a fool. Hold still now. Betting <laughs> him up to my office, Matt. One of those bullets has to come out before I can stop the bleeding. I just tried to kill you, Doc. I know. Then what are you doing trying to save me? I'm a doctor. Nothing can keep me from a man who needs me. I tried to explain that to your brother. I don't believe you. You're lying. Let's get him moved, Matt. We're wasting time.
1: You get the mail, Mr. Dillon?
3: Yeah, it finally came, Chester. Now go upstairs and get Doc will you? I'll be in the office. Yes, sir. Two weeks in bed, three weeks in jail. You begin to wish you'd killed me, Marshal. I kept you in jail because Doc wanted you there, Nate. Has he always run the law around here? It was him you tried to kill, wasn't it? If I had my way, you'd be in prison. Between you and Doc, I ain't got a chance of nothing, have I? we are gonna get that settled right now. What do you mean? I don't know. I'm doing this Doc's way. I didn't ask it.
1: I got him, Mr. Dillon. Good morning, Matt.
3: Morning, Doc. Hello, Nates.
16: Well, Another came in today's mail, Doc. Give it to me, Matt. Here it is. Thank you. You got a pen in your desk, Matt? Yeah. You help yourself. What is that? What are you talking about, anyway? The reward money. $1,000 check for killing your brother.
3: Oh. Doc put in his claim, so I sent to Colorado for it. Yeah, I might have known. I hope you have a good time with it, Doc.
16: What are you going to spend it on? Tell us. I'll tell you, Nate. I'm going to spend it on you. I've endorsed it. Here, it's all yours. Mine? Take it. But what for? You'll have to figure out what for. It's about time you did, too.
17: Marshal?
3: Yeah, Nate. My brother left a wife in Denver. I'm going to see she gets this. She won't have to know what it's from. Can I leave now? Yeah, you can but, leave. But, Marshal, it... Don't worry about it, Nate. I'll tell Doc you finally got it figured out.
4: Gunsmoke, produced and directed by Norman McDonald, stars William Conrad as Matt Dillon, U.S. Marshal. Our story was specially written for Gunsmoke by John Meston, with music composed and conducted by Rex Corey. Sound patterns by Ray Kemper and Bill James. Featured in the cast were John Daner and Vic Perrin. Harley Bear is Chester, Howard McMeer is Doc, and Georgia Ellis is Kitty. Maybe you could spare a few hours of your time each week helping to keep your country safe from a possible sneak enemy air attack. Men, women, teenagers, too, are eligible to join the Ground Observer Corps and serve as plane spotters, filling in the unavoidable gaps in our radar network. It's easy but fascinating work. When you're in the Ground Observer Corps, you can wear your silver wings, proud in the knowledge that you're doing your part to keep America safe. Why not join tomorrow? Join us again next week for another specially transcribed story as Matt Dillon, U.S. Marshal, fights to bring law and order out of the wild violence of the West in Gunsmoke.
0: Told you that was a good ending. Wasn't that a great ending? And it changed uh, what the title of the show meant, Doc's Reward. That was originally broadcast on CBS on the 29th of April back in 1956. As always, we'll have another episode of Gunsmoke next week. Well, Chester is telling us we are all out of time, and I knew we, we would be. So let's gather up all the shows and get them back into the vault. We'll be back in two weeks with an all-new show. But next week, we'll have our archive show. And so we will be in touch with you regularly. Hope you had a good time, and I hope you enjoyed our selections. It is so much nicer listening to these shows with friends, isn't it? I love it when we can all get together like this. It's Just a real, real thing. I promised you that we were going to play the song that Jack Benny referred to. The name of the song is Chababa Chababa. And apparently it kind of drove them crazy because they never knew what it meant. The song sort of explains it, though. This was a number one song for three weeks in 1947, in between June and July. And it was on the chart for a lot longer than that. So I hope you enjoyed it. It's sung by Perry Como, if I didn't mention it. All right, everybody, this is Bob Bro. I am so glad you stopped by. And I am so glad... You met me.
18: certain ditty was quite the thing. Whenever a mother rocked her baby in Sorrento, this little ditty she used to sing. Chababa chababa chihuahua Angelaua Kooka Lagoomba. Chababa chababa chihuahua, my Bambino go to sleep. Chababa chababa chihuahua Angelowa Kooka Lagoomba. Chababa chababa chihuahua, my bambino, go to sleep. All the stars are in the skies, ready to say good night. Can't you see your doll is sleepy too? Close your drowsy little eyes, Mama will hold you tight while she sings a lullaby to you. Oh, Chababa, Chababa, Chihuahua, Angelava, Cookalagoomba. Chababa, Chababa, Chihuahua, my bambino, go to sleep.
15: Chibaba, chibaba,
18: chibaba, 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 chihuahua, Angelawa. Chibaba, chibaba, chihuahua, Angelawa, kookala goumba, Coomba, chababa McB my bambino go to sleep. Chee, 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 chibaba, chibaba, chihuahua, Angelawa, kookala goomba, Chababa Chibaba, chibaba, my bambina, go to sleep. All the stars are in the skies, ready to say good
15: night, good night. Can't you see your doll is sleepy too? Close your drowsy little eyes, Mama will hold you tight while she sings a lullaby
13: to you, ever so sweetly.
18: Chababa chababa chihuahua Anjalawa Kukalaguma Gumba Chababa Chababa Chihuahua, my Bambino, go to sleep. Chababa chababa chihuahua, my bambino, go to sleep. Chababa chababa chihuahua, my bambino, go to sleep. (laughs)
13: Oh <laughs> my